Father God, we come before you. We just we thank you for this chance to commune with you. Mark this morning encourages us to remember that the body is bigger than those people we can see around us right now. And while we can sometimes read the expressions of those who are around us in their face and we can know if they're struggling or if they're joyful or if they're contemplative, we can't see all the faces of our brothers and sisters around the world. We can't see the faces of our brothers and sisters here from Ogleville who are watching uh, the service at some point through the online format. But you see every one of them. And while we don't know the circumstance of each one, you do. And today you are with us and you are with them and we are with you. And we celebrate that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The finest tomato that I have ever eaten, I ate in Spoleto, Italy. Fabulous tomato because it had been locally grown on the slopes in volcanic soil. It was fantastic. Something about its location made the fruit just fabulous. This is not unusual for tomatoes, and it's not unusual for a number of other things that are produced through the soil. There's a great debate about which volcanic soil produces the finest grapes, uh, whether that is in Italy or if it is in California. Great debate over the best grapes in the world. I reference that because I want to talk to you today about choice fruit, celebrated fruit, the kind of fruit that is prized, that is, that is the very best. And I'm not speaking any longer about tomatoes and grapes but the kind of fruit that we produce in our lives. What kind of fruit is celebrated by God? What is pleasing to God in our life? What is it that he takes, he takes that fruit and he says, man, that is fabulous. Now, that's the best. Interestingly enough, the psalmist, uh, probably David, there are two or three different people we think write the psalms, but probably David writes the first psalm. And he starts by, by referencing the idea of things that are celebrated. And he kind of looks at a person's life and, and he says, you know, what is it that's blessed? What is it that's celebrated by God? And as we're in this series on Rooted today, and we kind of come to the conclusion of that, I want us to, to think very hard and very specifically about this idea of what kind of fruit is being produced in my life. Now understand that that the quality of the fruit starts way down there in the soil and the roots and that works its way up eventually to the fruit we produce. So as we come to the end of this series today, join me in Psalms chapter 1 and let's take a look at things that are celebrated, admired, and renowned when it comes to a life and a fruit that Jesus and that God find helpful. The psalmist starts by talking about the celebrated life. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. He starts by saying celebrated is the one who doesn't do these things. Now, they don't walk in step with the wicked. They don't stand in the way of the sinner. They don't sit in the company of the mocker. I think the psalmist would say here and elsewhere through the psalms, 
You need to be an influencer for God, and you must be careful to avoid the sinful influences that are all around you. Several decades ago, around the turn of the century, musicians noticed that all the errand boys in a certain part of London all whistled out of tune. As they would ride around on their bicycles making their deliveries, they would whistle in always the same amount of being off tune. After a while, the musicians discovered the reason for their poor pitch. It was that the bells of Westminster were out of tune, and the boys used those bells and whistled along, not recognizing that they were out of pitch, out of tune. They had unconsciously copied the sounds around them. The psalmist understands this. It's easy for us to copy the pattern of the world, the things that are around us. And so he starts by saying, if you want to be celebrated, you got to have some separation from some of these things. you got to separate yourself from the wicked. Separate yourself uh, in some ways from, from the way that sinners would take. And don't be a part of the group that grumbles and complains and mocks all the time. You want to grow great fruit. Don't let bitterness get in your roots. Don't let sinfulness get in your roots. Be careful. Because what you take in is going to influence the kind of fruit you produce, whether it's bitter fruit or delicious and celebrated fruit. So he talks about being celebrated, being blessed, being careful. But he goes on from that, and he says, as to this idea of choice fruit, those that produce it, There's a unique quality about them. Rather than drawing all of their influence from the world and the people that are around them, they draw it from something else. And it's a good advice for us today as we think about roots. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. This also is an interesting concept. He's giving the idea of saturation, something that we're taking in all the time. I don't know how often you spend praying and how often you spend reading the Bible and how often you spend listening to sermons or to to, to biblical teachers. I don't know what that is for you, but I want you to think about something, right? What we draw on the most will influence us. And what is it that you're drawing on the most? I want you to understand the reason that that tomato was so good really was because of the soil that it was drawing from. The same thing will be true for us. What kind of soil do you draw from? Now, one of the things that might be happening is that sometimes there are pests that can affect the roots of a tree or of a, of a plant. And when root damage occurs, it affects everything. It affects everything. And when that occurs, there are some things that are signs that, that my roots are being attacked or being damaged by something. And, and I want you to think about, these are things from horticulture, but they're also things about life. How would you know if a plant was under attack in its root system? Well, there are some things you could look for. Uh, for one thing, you would see thinning foliage. You might see poor yearly growth, yellow undersides of leaves. Dead branches in the upper uh, canopy. You might find wilted uh, fruit or wilted leaves. Premature leaf drop and yellowing. 
Those are the things that you would see that would be a sign, a symptom of a problem. I want you to think about your life for a moment. As you look at the fruitfulness of your life, do you see some symptoms that there might be a problem in your roots, that there might be something attacking that? Do you see that your fruit or the things that you're bearing in your life aren't the things that you think God would be pleased with, not celebrated? In horticulture, the remedy for a problem with the roots is well known. A tree can be rescued if the symptoms are caught quickly and early enough. There is a universal three-step process for rescuing a tree whose roots are under attack. First, you must prune away part of the canopy, part of the top of the tree, where the disease is so that the tree doesn't need as much water. It doesn't need as much uh, to come up through it in the beginning to survive. You prune away parts of the canopy of the tree. Secondly, you then begin to water the tree abundantly so that the roots don't have to work as hard to get the moisture and to get the water. They don't have to work at getting a drink. And finally, you add nutrients, fertilizers, things that can strengthen and help the tree to get healthy once again, to stimulate new growth in the roots as well as in the canopy. Well, understand something about our roots. And when we are under attack by the devil or the challenges of life, understand that there's something similar that happens in us sometimes. When we started the series, we read the words of Jesus, and, and Jesus was the one, remember, who said, my father prunes away any, any branch in me that doesn't produce fruit. It was the idea that God says, I'm not going to allow sickness and disease to kill the tree. It was important. So what you think about this morning, is there a section of your life that needs some pruning? Is there a part of your tree that needs more water and more nutrients in your spiritual life and spiritual being? I don't know what that circumstance looks like for you, but I encourage you that it's wise of us to take action immediately. That the longer we wait, the more devastating the circumstance can become. I discovered that with a tree that was in my yard. I planted a yellow, delicious apple tree 10 years ago. It lasted seven. It produced a, a, a crop of apples three or four times. Unfortunately, I didn't take a look at the disease my tree had. When I first saw some little wilted yellow leaves, I didn't recognize that the tree had fire blight. Didn't even think about it. And the next year, when a few of the branches kind of curled up, I thought, well, that's not good. <laughs> but I didn't take steps to intervene. Now, I want you to understand, what I didn't recognize is my tree had a very serious uh, a blight that, for which there is no known exact cure. There's only a number of steps you can take to try to curb what's happening. But inaction cost me my tree. I got to eat one pie from apples made from that tree. That was it. And when I planted it, boy, I had hopes for so much more fruit. Not taking action can cause a lot of problems. So what does action look like? Well, one of the things I think the psalmist wants us to gather is, he says, if you want to have a, a life with fruit that's celebrated, if you, if you want to saturate things with God's word, then, then situate yourself in the right places. The psalmist says this, the blessed person, the person who's getting it right, they are like a person that is a tree planted by streams of water, 
which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. One of the reasons that my tree died was because of its location. Now, I don't know how close most of the things I've read said that fire blight usually doesn't move more than about a mile or so from wherever the tree is. So somewhere within a mile of my tree, there's probably another tree that had the same problem. And whether it was by flies or bugs or birds, somehow that, that made it within a mile to my tree. I reference that because proximity to the sickness that was around my tree affected my tree. Where it was situated mattered. And friends, where you are situated matters. It matters. Be careful. Be careful where you are situated and how much you let those things impact your spiritual life. Now, all of this so far has seemed really kind of tame, almost a review of the last four weeks. But the psalmist now takes us to the negative example. And he does so in a pretty strong way, calling, I think, back on Israel's history, a warning for trees and producing fruit. And I have to tell you, this is not unprecedented. We see this across the Old Testament and the New Before Jesus starts his ministry, John the Baptist has a very powerful ministry. There's a great story where John the Baptist is speaking with the Pharisees, and the Sadducees have come out to see him. And he warns them. He says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. You're in danger of being cut down already. Pretty strong words John was using to the leaders and the so-called people who thought they were getting it right with God. He gave them a strong warning. Across the the Bible, there is a a warning that says, be careful. Jesus made this point perfectly clear, didn't he, when he was coming into the city with his disciples and he wanted a fig for the fig tree and it didn't have any and he cursed it. And of course, that same night they came back and saw that the tree had withered up and had died and they were, well, they were overwhelmed. (laughs) He's serious about producing fruit. We can't take that lightly. So now we see the psalmist gives us the negative example. And he says, listen, there are some things you just have to be separated from, or God will separate you from him. Not so the wicked, the psalmist writes. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment Nor will sinners sit in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, for us today, several thousand years removed from these events, we may not call back on ancestral history when we read words like that. But I believe the the psalmist audience would have. They would have gone back on something from their history at this moment when he says this idea about, uh, uh, about wickedness that leads to destruction. The most poignant example of this in Israel's history had happened in the book of Numbers, in chapter 16. Now, I don't have time to go into all of Numbers 16 right now, but I encourage you to read it. Terrifying, terrifying stuff. Numbers 16 is a story of two kinds of rebellion of grumbling and complaining about the Israelites when they were in the wilderness 
and, uh, and they start to get, uh, well, they'd been there for decades, just wandering around, and they were getting frustrated and angry, and most of their anger came towards the leaders, which were Moses and Aaron. One of those people was a man named Korah, and Korah started to put himself against Moses, and he was stirring up dissension in, in the, the people of Israel. And in chapter 16 of Numbers, we read the story of judgment, right? And Korah makes a play, uh, try to have a coup, if you would, to overthrow Moses, and boy, God squashes it. There's this moment where Moses says, okay, if you're over here with God and what God's doing, stand by us. If you're with Korah, stand with Korah. And those that stay with Korah, the ground literally opens up and swallows them alive. It is terrifying stuff. That's number 16. The next story in number 16 is also one that you might not have heard. It's also remarkable. Because you would think that after what happened to Korah, everyone would be like, woo, do whatever God says. But they don't. They keep on grumbling and complaining. And God's anger becomes intense against them. And it says he sends a consuming plague. We don't know what that is. He sends a consuming plague that begins to chase the people. And Moses sees what's happening. He tells Aaron, you've got to go make a sacrifice right now or God will kill us all. And so you have this picture of a plague coming into the camp and Aaron running to make the sacrifice. And not until the sacrifice is made as God's anger relented against the people. When the psalmist would write about a consuming wickedness, a wickedness that brings destruction, this is what he's thinking of. He's thinking of these events from Israel's past. This is bad news. You don't want to upset God like that. This is that wrath of God stuff we never talk about anymore these days, right? It existed. And as terrifying as Numbers 16 is, there is a great hope of regeneration that occurs in number 17. And I want to close out the series today by understanding something about roots and where we are. <laughs> I've celebrated with you in the last few weeks some of our people who are oaks of righteousness. Some of our seniors, I've celebrated their faithfulness for generations. And I've talked to you about the way that we can grow how that we as a church can produce better and more abundant fruit. But I also want to talk for a moment about those who you know your roots aren't deep. And maybe you know that your tree is diseased. And maybe you're afraid that you don't even have what it takes to produce any fruit, let alone good fruit. Or maybe you think that your time is spent. I was really good at producing fruit when I was young, but I still have energy anymore. If that's your situation, then hear this last word. It's a word of regeneration. It was Job who coined this idea. Job, who might, might be one of the oldest characters we read about in the Bible, and yet he understood something about God that's profound. Job said this, there is hope for a tree there is hope for a tree, even when it is cut down, that it will sprout again, that its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground, and its stump dies in the dry soil, 
I tell you, at the scent of water, it will flourish and put forth sprigs like a plant. In Numbers 17, we have this very prophecy of Job. We have it enlivened in a very beautiful story. All the people have been grumbling and complaining. And number 17 reads to me like a bedtime story my grandma would have read. And I want to read it to you as we close out our time, kind of the way my grandma would, except I won't use her voice. That was sometimes scary, and I don't want to leave you scared when you get done. Number 17 says this. Now the Lord spoke with Moses, and he said, Moses, speak to the Israelites And I want you to get 12 staffs from them. Get a staff from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Now, when you get these staffs, write the name of each leader on its staff. And on the staff of the tribe of Levi, write Aaron's name. For there must be one staff for the head of each ancestral tribe. Now, Moses, when you get all those staffs and you've written all the names on them, place those old staffs in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law, where I meet with you. The staff that belongs to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So Moses spoke to the people and to their leaders, and he gave them He told them to give him their staffs, one from each leader of each tribe. And Aaron's staff was among those that he received. Now picture these old staffs, dried out, hardened, good staffs because the resin has hardened inside of them. The wood is dead, but it's still strong. Moses takes these well-worn staffs, and he places them before the Lord in the tent of the law. The next morning, Moses gets up and enters the tent. And when he goes in there, there's the staff of Aaron, the one representing the tribe of Levi. Not only has it sprouted, but it's budded, blossomed, and produced choice almonds. Isn't that a beautiful image of what this is happening? A, a, a dead stick is able to produce choice almonds. It's remarkable. Only God can do that. Amen. But friends, that could be you. Maybe as you've heard this series, you've been challenged, you've been frustrated, you've, you've been overwhelmed, you've questioned the fruit your life's produced. Let me encourage you right now. If God can bring life into an old dead stick, he can still bring life into you. And you realize that what was incredible about that story is that the staffs had no roots. Yet God still produced fruit through them. If your roots are damaged, if they are worn out, whatever you think the circumstances, have confidence in God today. He can regenerate in you Things and he can generate in you things that you didn't think possible because nothing is impossible for our God. Now, if you are here and you're a Christian, this whole series has caused you to think a lot about your life and producing good fruit, choice fruit, fruit that will last into eternity. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, then 
you recognize from this sermon series that you probably are missing something that's important. And one of the great truths that's come out of this is this idea that what God does for staffs, he does for people. And he can regenerate holiness, goodness, hopefulness, joyfulness, thankfulness, and peace in your life. If you've never accepted Jesus, then let this be the day you make that decision. Begin to put your roots down into Christ, and he will grow in you more than you could ever imagine. Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it now? As we stand and we sing our hymn of invitation. Mm-hmm.